0: Why
1: do you read section? Let somebody read the chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have... What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee.
0: Alright, so let's look at the section and then we'll try to tie it in with what we've been studying. Um, we noted in 21 and 22 the thing that amazed the people about Jesus was what? Yeah, he taught with authority. They were not accustomed to that. Jesus would say things like, you know, you have to believe in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life verily verily i say to you as if he was the one that calls the shots as if he was the one in charge and the rabbis would teach tentatively you know citing the opinions of various others to substantiate their ideas and so forth and i pointed out that there are people today who teach with authority Uh, like that, like your David Koresh's and Jim Jones's and other guys who say, you just need to follow me, you just need to do what I say, I'm the one in charge. But you wouldn't believe me if I just started teaching with authority and saying you need to follow me and you need to believe anything I tell you and do what I say. Because if I claimed to have authority, what would you expect me to do? Prove Prove it. That's what set Jesus apart. He not only claimed authority in his teaching, he proved it. And in this section, how does he prove it? He worked a miracle. What miracle?
2: Uh, He uh, cast the unclean spirits out, or it's referred to. Well, no, it's not referred to. He did it uh, in uh, 25, 26.
0: He did. There's a guy that was there in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, a demon, And Jesus dealt with the demon and, and expelled the demon from the person. How did Jesus do that? With what he said. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Now isn't that interesting because the authority that Jesus taught with was the authority of what he said. And Jesus proves the authority of his words by using his words to order the demon out of the man and the demon left the man. And the people get the point. They're amazed saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. They got the point that Jesus' word really does have authority. It orders the demons around just as it gives orders to them. And so that shows that Jesus didn't just make some idle claim to having authority. He really had it. And that fits with the theme we've been seeing Mark developing in this first chapter. He starts out telling us about the work of John the Baptist, preparing people for Jesus, telling them that he's not even worthy to untie Jesus' shoes. And then the Father showed that he um, thought Jesus specially qualified and, and uh, powerful by, by making the, the announcement from heaven when Jesus was baptized, even splitting the sky apart and having the Holy Spirit come down on him. And now... As Jesus begins his teaching, he teaches with authority and he proves he has that authority. Mark does not, he he doesn't want us to miss the point in the beginning of what he's writing. That Jesus is somebody we need to listen to. He's not an ordinary person. He really has authority. And that means that everything Mark's going to tell us about Jesus and what he taught are things we better listen to. Comments and questions?
1: In verse 22, they were amazed at his teaching before the, the casting out of the unclean spirit. Correct. And it was only, it was after that that they, in a sense, accepted the teaching.
0: Perhaps. They certainly have more to be amazed about after the casting out of the unclean spirit. Perhaps they're amazed and uncertain Okay. until Jesus does that and they realize wow hey, you know this authority he's got is real <laughs> you know you can see it
1: because at first I was thinking what were they you know they were amazed that he was teaching with authority and I was trying to find something in that that was you know like the proof of that.
0: I don't, yeah, I don't know, I mean, it's just different. I mean, it's amazing in the sense that people generally don't do it. I know we've got a few people in our day who do, but most people don't. Most people wouldn't even try to say, you know, I'm the one in charge, you follow me. I mean, you know, there's not many guys, you know, in our day, even religious people, who would say, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me you know I mean there's a few but not many and it would would be surprising you started hearing somebody talk like that today you'd uh, find that interesting and I think that's the way they are it's very intriguing it's different that Jesus teaches that way but as he begins to give the proof then they're amazed in a positive sense and they start telling everybody about this one who teaches with authority and proves it
2: Thought of Jesus uh, teaching where he, where he said, "You have heard that it was said, but I say to you." Uh, I don't know if this if that's time wise out of context to be considered as a part of his teaching with authority here, or, or 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 we don't really know exactly necessarily.
0: Yeah, we don't know what he was teaching, but whether or not the sermon on the mount is at the same time he taught similar things over and over again. So it probably wouldn't make much difference. Uh, I mean, it is true after the Sermon on the Mount that the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So they got that point out of that sermon. Maybe he was teaching some of those points right here. Because, I mean, clearly in that whole sermon, he is teaching with authority. So good point. Being amazed
3: doesn't necessarily imply that they believed it. They were just amazed.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But I think we see them coming to believe it by the time they see what he can do. Yes. And that's, uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want people to just believe <laughs> it because somebody claimed to have authority. That would not be a, a wise thing. But as they examine the evidence and Jesus proves it with his signs, then, you know, I, I mean... Mark wants us to see Jesus having authority, but he's giving us the evidence for that, not just asserting it.
3: They acknowledge also in 27 that it was his words. Yes, they do. As, I would say, similar to what he was telling us. He he, he commands even the unclean spirit, and they obey him. Wow, he commanded us something. What do you think we ought to do <laughs>
0: Wouldn't you hate to be inferior to the demons in their response to Jesus?
4: <laughs>
0: Stop and think about it. The demons recognize Jesus. Um, in a sense, they believe in Jesus and they submit to Jesus. Now, granted, I don't think they had a choice about that one, but they do. So uh, I know a lot of people who are uh, lower on the totem pole than the demons as far as their response to Jesus. They almost sound the scared in verse twenty three I think they were. It's just out of my mind. It blows my mind that they were just scared to death of Jesus. Oh, well. Calling him names
2: that you know that the were true but that maybe will deny to today even deny to call him.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think to a demon <laughs> the sight of Jesus uh, is uh gives you panic. I mean clearly they knew Jesus had this authority. And you see that reaction consistently among the demons. There are other stories, even in Mark, that will show us the demons were scared of Jesus.
1: The, the man with the unclean spirit who was in their synagogue, We don't really, I guess we don't really know whether he was one of those guys who was you know, screaming and shouting all the time or... Or what? I mean, it struck me as kind of odd that in their synagogue there would be this man. And, you know, it's like, what are we going to do with this guy? (laughs) But that's not really what they were doing. It's like, did they know that there's a a man with a demon (laughs) hanging out with you guys?
0: Yeah, there's so little information given. I would assume they knew he had it since they were amazed Jesus cast it out but exactly what manifestations there were as you look at the gospels at different people who were demon possessed they didn't always manifest themselves in exactly the same way so good comments other comments and questions on this section all right 29 to 34
1: they came out of the synagogue, they came to the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun
4: had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons.
0: And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. All right. Um, so Jesus comes <coughs> out of the synagogue into where? Peter says. Yes. And he encounters a sick lady there. Who is that? And what was wrong with her? She had Luke says she had a high fever. Luke often gives more medical details, being a doctor. <laughs> and, um, well, you know you ever had a high fever? Mm-hmm. How does it feel? Not so good. Not so good. What does Jesus do?
1: Raises her up, takes her by the hand, and the fever leaves.
0: Yeah. Think about times when you've had uh, pretty good fevers. You know, I, I had a friend who said, you know, when you get sick, you have two choices: you can go to the doctor and get some pills, and you get well in two weeks, or you can go to bed, drink plenty of fluids, and you get well in fourteen days. So, uh, but one way or the other, you know, you get to the uh, you get to the point where the fever breaks. You know. As you're laying there in bed, when your fever breaks, how do you feel? Wiped out. Wiped out, but?
4: Oddly refreshed.
0: You feel a lot better. I mean, you know, man, fevers stink. And you got a very high fever for very long. That really takes it out of you. And when, you, when the fever leaves, at least you don't ache so bad and all that. And a lot of times when you're laying there, it actually kind of gives you some disposition to, you know, do something. Let's suppose that, you know, you'd have a high fever for four or five days and, you know, whichever method you took, you used, <laughs> uh, you you know, your fever breaks and you decide to jump up, put your clothes on, and get busy. What's going to happen?
1: You'll be back in bed in a few hours with the fever back again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why? If
1: you're not ready yet.
0: Yeah. We say you have to get your strength back. Isn't that our term? Because you do. I mean, you know, if you've been debilitated over a period of days, you've been in bed, you know, um, evidently she was, because Jesus raises her up. Uh, You know, you may, I mean, even if you just were able to cure the fever right like that, it would take some time to get your strength back and get back to normal. But in this case, when Jesus healed her, what happens next? She began serving them. Yes. She got up and started waiting on them, I suppose, cleaning the house, serving the food, whatever. So when Jesus healed somebody, he healed them so well that he put them back like as they'd never had the problem in the first place. Now that's amazing. You know, doctors and pills sometimes help, but they, they can't do that. <laughs> Um, Jesus would do that on other occasions, say he'd heal somebody, uh, or the the apostles too, you know, somebody, say, lame from birth, who hadn't walked in the whole time they'd been alive, maybe 40 years in Acts 3, and uh, think about what that would be like, I mean, I'm 50, let's say, I have perfectly good legs, such as they are, uh, but I can walk fine, and you know, let's say I just made the executive decision, I'm not going to use them. So I let people carry me around, I get a wheelchair, I will use my legs for 40 years. And finally, at the age of 90, if I'm still around, I decide, you know, there was really nothing wrong with my legs. I just made the decision not to use them. I think I'm going to get up and start using them again. What would happen?
1: I'd fall on your face probably. Why? Your muscles would have atrophied, and there'd be no strength then.
0: You know, by the 90s 90, it's hopeless. If you were younger, maybe you know a few years of physical therapy or whatever. You know, you could get back. But I mean, you couldn't just get up and walk. But but Jesus or the apostles could take somebody who'd never been able to walk because of some disease. <laughs> touch them or do whatever they did and not only was the disease taken away that kept them from walking but they didn't even have to learn how. They didn't even have to build up their muscles. They were just able to immediately walk and leap and whatever. Now you find me some doctor who can do that. (laughs) This, This is amazing and I think it continues to show us the greatness and the authority of Jesus. He's got authority over everything. The demons, the fever, you know, the the, the actual body's uh, strength and whatever. Comments and thoughts on this little section in 29 to
2: 31. Two years ago, I had very minor knee surgery. And for the weekend, I couldn't use my knee, my leg. And it was amazing just to, over a period of two days how much the muscle in that leg atrophied because of that. And I can't imagine weeks or months or years, two days, and it was just like, I have no strength in that leg whatsoever. And it wasn't due to the surgery. It was due to the fact there was no use. And so you go back to the fever thing. You know, you get you get down and out yeah. and laid flat, and it just takes a huge toll on your body.
0: Yeah, you. it takes time to get that back. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this is just this is a remarkable thing. I'll tell you something else you can see in this. Um, you know, when God heals in any sense, He heals so that we can serve. She had the right response. Obviously, He made it possible for her to have that. But He He heals her. She gets up and starts serving. And every time God blesses us. The goal is not just that we'll be blessed people, but that we'll change and that we'll serve. And and I think that's a good model for us. Hi. We're uh, looking at uh, Mark 1, 29 to 34. And we've just kind of gone through 29 to 31. Do you have any other comments or questions on 29 to 31?
3: 28 yes I can
0: we had looked at a little bit of that last week Um, Jesus went to synagogue and started teaching in a way that amazed the people because he taught them with authority like saying I'm the one that has the right to command you guys need to obey and follow me and that amazed them because they weren't used to people saying that but Jesus not only claimed authority when he taught he did something that proved he had that authority he cast a demon out of the man and the way he cast the demon out is he said the word for the demon to go out he ordered the demon out verbally and the demon left proving the power of his words to cast out demons and they made the connection in 27 they say what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So they see that Jesus' word really has authority even to expel a demon. And then in this section we've looked at Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever and was in bed evidently. And Jesus not only touched her and the fever left, but she doesn't. it doesn't even take her time to get her strength back She just immediately gets up and starts waiting on them, which is something no doctor, pill, surgery, or anything can do. They may take away the cause of the fever, but you don't get your strength back instantaneously with a doctor you did with Jesus. He's showing his uniqueness and his special authority. All right, anything else through 31? section in 32 to 34, evening came. I think we're still on this same day. You know, Jesus had gone to the synagogue in 21 to 28 and taught with authority and healed the demon. Then he immediately came out of the synagogue, went into Simon's house and healed his (laughs) mother-in-law. And now it's evening of that day. Now, that's probably significant. Uh, What are they doing when evening comes? Bringing the sick folk to
1: him.
0: Why would they have waited till evening?
1: Sabbath it was sunset. the
0: yes. It was the Sabbath day. You couldn't do things like bringing, carrying somebody on the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath day ended at when at sundown. And so after sundown, then they're able to transport uh, the the sick people, the demon possessed people, and so forth. And uh, they just bring a whole bunch of them. Wouldn't you? You know, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. If you knew there was somebody in town that could cure you of whatever ailed you, you'd not only go if you had some problem, but you'd take anybody you cared about with you so that they could get cured. And that's exactly what happens. And so, what does Jesus do? Heal many. Yes. And uh, doesn't make it difference what they had. He was able to cure any disease, and he also casts out many demons. And what does he do when he casts out the demons? Let him speak. Doesn't let him speak. Yeah, he, he stops him from from speaking. Wonder why Jesus often did that. Why why would he have not wanted the demons to speak about him?
3: They weren't exactly
2: the kind of people he would want to give him praise.
0: That's what I think. You know, would you like the town drunk to go around telling everybody you're his best friend? You know, or whatever. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you don't really want publicity from demons. So Jesus would consistently order them not to speak about him. and uh, But he's able to do that. I mean, and it doesn't look like there's any failures here. You know, whatever it was, whatever they needed, Jesus could uh, do that. There is no indication that I can see anywhere in the Bible that Jesus would go out looking for patients. He'd let them come to him. There might be one exception or two when Jesus ran across somebody, but in general, they would come to him and he would heal Comments and questions on this?
1: Was the, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, did that also become known?
0: It doesn't say... But, wouldn't it?
1: Because I was thinking, you know, alright, so they saw a demon-possessed man in the synagogue healed. So, okay, everybody who's got an unclean spirit, let's bring them and we'll drive them out. But that, I I mean, it makes sense that you would have um, power over the physical illnesses as well if you have power over demons, but...
3: I'd take that chance, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but you know, I mean,
0: we've got a couple of things in that. My guess is that the word did spread. It probably would. I mean, it would in our time if if there was somebody doing this, <laughs> word get out. Um, and obviously, these are condensed accounts, so there's many details that are omitted. There might even have been other people Jesus healed that day. And we just ha- he just happens to focus on this healing of Simon's mother in law. That's possible as well. So but we're not told, but I would say the reaction in verse thirty two would make you think they had found out about it. Other thoughts? Good questions. So, you know, there are times when Mark will summarize a long period of time in a short section, but here he's really kind of going into detail about these days. So we've had the day and now the evening and now we're early the next morning. We'll see what happens. Thirty five to thirty nine. Rising very early in the morning. Well it was still dark. He departed
1: and went uh, to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched searched for him, and they found him, and said to them, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, and that I may preach there also, for that is why I, I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching the preaching in their synagogues and casting
0: out demons. Now, this shows us a lot about Jesus' priorities. And really, I think there's a lot of lessons in what we see happening here. Uh, Jesus got up real early in the morning before sunrise and left. Why? To pray. Now, that's interesting. What does that teach you? It It must have been. How often do you get up early in the morning? For most people, except for me. And it's only because you have to. You know, you wouldn't do it if it wasn't something pretty pretty significant. Um, Jesus cutting into his sleep time. To pray. I wonder why Jesus wanted to pray so badly.
2: The relationship was very important.
0: Probably, really missed his father and wanted to talk to him. I agree. He's also been having some pretty busy days. He really needs to talk. I mean, Jesus... I think had sort of the habit of praying before he went into action. You see that on various occasions, and so he would perhaps sense his need to talk to his father. It surely shows that's very important to Jesus, and if it was important to him, it ought to be important to us. They don't know where he went. You know, Simon and the others are searching for him. When they finally find him, what do they tell him?
4: Everybody's
0: looking for you. Yeah, everybody's looking for you back there. So Jesus says, let's go somewhere else then. (laughs) There are so many times when Jesus does things you would not expect. He is one of the most unconventional people you ever would see. Now sometimes we're just so familiar with the stories we don't stop and think about them. We stop and think about that. That's not what they expected Jesus to say. And really... If you have think about it that's not what we would expect him to say you know if somebody told me you know I I maybe preached and taught in some town and, and somebody came out and said boy they all want you to come back well I'd be right there Jesus says let's go other places why did Jesus say that you wanted to go preach some more to others. Yeah, I think he wants to get the message out to other people. There's more towns, there's more people that need to hear the message. And Jesus sensed urgency in his mission. There were a lot of places to get to. He had a short time. The gospel needs to be spread. I believe that priority in Jesus is also very helpful to us you know i don't know that we generally have the sense of mission about people and places that we don't already know well you know if it's somebody we really know and care about we want to teach them because we care about them we don't want them to be lost if it's in our own backyard we may want to teach because we'd like for the church to grow But this idea of a passion to see more people, more towns, get the message, I think is something Jesus shows us that we probably need to think about. Um, Jesus wasn't interested in popularity. He's interested in spreading that message everywhere that he can. And so he does. He goes to their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Comment some questions?
1: I think it's interesting that he didn't seek out people to go heal them. They came to him for that. But whenever... But he would seek out people to tell them about the gospel and, and everything. He didn't He didn't wait for them to... Go, you know, I think we'll go over to that other town where that guy's talking. No, that wasn't him. He was, he was there in their town. Okay.
0: I think we can definitely see Jesus was a preacher who healed, not a healer who preached.
4: Why are there so many demons?
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a good question. I guess uh, they're uh, they're pretty active and. Uh, uh, Trying to uh, turn people away from God maybe the bigger question is why did God let demons have such an active role at this time more than what you would see say in the Old Testament you don't see a whole lot of you know demon possession I don't know if I know the answer to that I wonder if it's not God again using Something the devil does to actually enhance his program gave Jesus an opportunity over and over again to show his superiority to the devil and to prove who he was. And uh, it's certainly like God to do that. I mean, over and over again, God will take something Satan does and boomerang it back against him. So that's kind of my guess, but I don't know for sure. It definitely is different than what you see in other periods of time in Bible history.
3: would assume all the people that were looking for him, Uh, part of the motivation at least would have been for more healing or more miracles or something like that. I would think. And I think Jesus' response is evident that the miracles that he had done is sufficient to make everybody see his power. However many he did or if he only did one or whatever, that, that town already knows of it. The word is spread. Let's go to the next town and, and do that and go on. If you were the disciples, where would you have liked to have gone? Back. Why? A little bit of publicity there.
0: Absolutely. People already liked you there. You're popular there. It's comfortable there. I, I don't know what all they were thinking, but I suppose they would like to see Jesus accommodate this surge in popularity. You know, I can imagine them even wanting to develop a, you know, Capernaum healing theme park, or, you know, let's, let's get this thing really going. And and we're often like that. Where do we want to go in preaching the gospel? Where to Yes, exactly. You want to go where people like it, where they enjoy it, where it's popular. Who wants to go where you think it's going to get a bad reaction where nobody knows anything about it, uh, where you're persecuted if you preach it, things like that. Jesus, he was not looking out to to stay in his comfort zone. If he had been wanting to do that, he'd just stayed in heaven. You know, his idea is, I've got a mission, I want to go everywhere I possibly can. And you certainly see... uh, Someone like the Apostle Paul, he had obviously uh, been influenced by that same spirit. You know, as he would say sometimes, he wanted to preach the gospel where it had not been heard because he didn't want to build on somebody else's foundation. He wanted wanted to pioneer uh, the trail for the gospel. There needs to be some waterers, but watering sometimes is what we all want to do. Somebody's got to go out and plant. Other thoughts and comments on this
3: section? Yeah, you said that he had a short time to preach the gospel. So does that mean he knew he's going to die?
0: Yes, I think so. Um, he will certainly a little later start telling that. He hasn't really done that yet in Mark now in John in John 2 very early on he says you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up which he was talking about his body and three days later he'd come back to life so that shows I think that Jesus knew very early on uh, about that um, maybe I would think it's very possible he knew a long time before that uh, but, but eventually Mark you know, he will start warning the disciples, here's what's going to happen to me, and he'll actually give them a pretty detailed explanation. I'll be in Jerusalem, and this will happen, this will happen, this will happen, and I'll, I'll be killed. So uh, so I think he did. Good question. Other questions and comments. It looks like it's,
1: it might be a little bit of a test of if the disciples are actually going to follow him, because back... In was where Simon's home was, where his, well, his mother-in-law was. So this is more like their home, sort of. And now he's asking them to go elsewhere with him.
0: Good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, to their credit, uh, they seem to have accompanied him wherever, wherever. There'll be a time, a long time later in the Gospel of John, <laughs> where uh, they tried to kill Jesus the last time he was near Jerusalem and uh, Lazarus got sick and died, and Jesus wants to go back. But the disciples don't realize that he's he's dead. They just think he's sick, and so they don't want Jesus to go. They're trying to talk him out of it. And Jesus said, well, Lazarus died, and I'm going to go. And Thomas said, well, we'll go too and die with him. (laughs) So he seems rather pessimistic about it, But he's loyal. They're willing to follow him even if they know, well, we'll just die to him. (laughs) Other comments and questions?
2: Leanne just asked uh, that Peter's mother-in-law is mentioned. Yes. Any thoughts on what's up with Peter's wife while he's following Jesus around here there and yonder?
0: I do not know. The one thing I do know is that in 1 Corinthians 9, when Paul is actually sort of making a case that he would have had the right to receive church support, he makes a point in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 5, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? so in this time post Jesus when they're preaching and teaching spreading the gospel evidently Peter had his wife along with him I don't know that it's impossible that he has her along with him here but I don't know good question other thoughts
1: (coughs) would it have been odd at that time for them to be traveling together? The, for the men to be bringing their wives along with them? <coughs> and just, I mean, when they were with Jesus, I guess is what I'm actually thinking.
0: I, I don't know that it would have. We have in, in Luke 8, uh, verse 1, uh, at the end of it, the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. And he actually names a few of them. Mary Magdalene and Joanna and uh, Susanna, and he said, and it says many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So we know that there were women accompanying him. I don't know if there'd be anything strange about taking a wife in that situation. There does seem to be some times that Jesus was alone just with the Twelve. So I don't know how all that fit in. I really don't know. But I don't think it's impossible to imagine that in general. Do you
2: think also that... Uh his instructions to the demons to to be still and not proclaim who he is plays in with verse 38, where he emphasizes his his desire to preach, and just as the whole city hunted was hunting him down before he moved on, um, it was going to make it more difficult for him to to emphasize his preaching if he was consumed with healing is that is that possible
0: as well it's possible although what the demons were doing was just right there with whoever was there watching saying who he was Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how much that would impact whether the demons speak or not speak in terms of jesus becoming more popular Clearly, he'll tell people not to go out and tell what he's done Mm -hmm. from time to time because he doesn't want just to be mobbed. But I don't know how much that would fit in with what the demons are doing. i have often wondered
3: though, too, if it wasn't because... It says sometimes he wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew who he was. Yes. Is that ever in relation to also where it says his time had not yet come, or is that a different... I'm trying. To, I'm trying to relate those two and see if that was a possibility where they he didn't allow them to say who he was because if they said he's the son of God, that would uh, speed up the crucifixion process.
0: That's an interesting thought. I don't know. The That's kind answer. of the
3: idea I'd seen with that. He he didn't want people to know because if the Jews, if the, if he was being called the son of God, it wasn't his time yet to be delivered up to be. Mm-hmm. crucify for that
0: I don't know interesting thought I, I don't know but.
1: Um. and to some extent I mean part of the idea is that like, like Peter and the rest of the apostles they were to come to that conclusion on their own this is the son of God not to hear some um, in this case demonic spirit proclaim this is the son of God uh,
0: that's, that's interesting also. Yeah. Some good good thoughts, good good possibilities. I mean, on some of these things, obviously, the text is not explicit as to the reason, but it's helpful to think through some reasons. So, good thoughts.
3: What does a demon look like?
0: As far as we can tell, I don't think they had a physical appearance. They would inhabit men, and so, you know, they'd... Man, you know, would be the the body they get into, but as far as them themselves, they seem to be spirit beings that did not have a physical, um, you know, body or whatever. There's plenty of questions about things like that. I mean, we're we're told quite a few things, but you know, the things we're told almost leave us wanting a lot more answers to some of those things. Particularly, I mean, you take, think about, you know, the whole uh, devil side of things, you know, with the devil and his angels and demons and forces. You know, some of you know, we're, we're told some things, but we're never really given like a systematic analysis of, of that side at all. And so there's a lot of unanswered questions, I suppose, because it's really not that important that we know all of, you know, the organization of the devil's troops. But, you know, it would be intriguing to know more about that. It's helpful to know that the devil has, you know, um, resources at his disposal. I think if we just sort of um, close our eyes to the fact that Satan is well capable of tempting and of, you know, turning us away from the Lord will not be well prepared to fight him, and that's the point that Paul makes in Ephesians six. I mean, our struggle is not just against human beings; we're fighting a struggle against cosmic forces, uh, and it requires the power of God to overcome.
2: Thinking related question then is what's the relativity of these demon scenarios as related here to today
0: that's a good question also and I don't have an absolute answer to that question Um, it, it certainly is striking when you look at the Bible that you know in the Old Testament I mean, there was an evil spirit that tormented Saul. There were some deceiving spirits that were sent into the mouths of the false prophets in Ahab's day. And, you know, a handful, maybe, of other references like that. But very little, and really, mostly, not even things that seem so extreme as what these are. And suddenly, you come to the New Testament, and, wow, it's full of demons. Um, And so that makes you ask the question, you know, did God allow the demons to possess men, say, during the time of Jesus and the apostles, a whole lot more in a different way than he allowed at other times? And it looks like it. Um, That doesn't necessarily tell us uh, about future times. Um, One thing that has impressed me is that in the last few verses of Mark, Jesus talks about there being certain signs that would accompany the believers and confirm the message that they spoke. And the signs were things like uh, healing the sick and speaking in other tongues and being able to drink deadly poison or pick up snakes and it not hurt them. And in that, one of the signs was to cast out demons. And then the text said the Lord actually did that. He went with them and he did confirm the word by those signs that followed. Those signs evidently were to confirm the message of the apostles and prophets that revealed the New Testament. And I don't think there's any indication at all in the Bible that any of those signs continued. I don't think there's anybody who has the power to cast out a demon like Jesus and the apostles did. If there's nobody with the power to cast them out, it would seem reasonable that perhaps... God would not allow the demons to possess people in the same way since to get rid of them it seemed to take somebody to cast them out. Um, So that's that's a conjecture on my part. I, I do think we need to be careful not to think that well if demons perhaps don't possess people today in the same way that they did in Jesus' day or the apostles' day that the devil's more or less gone dormant. Um, clearly, Ephesians 6 said we're fighting against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Uh, I would assume that means the devil has his demons or angels or whatever he has that are fighting against us, perhaps just not in the same way. Very good question. There, there's just those are difficult questions to answer. I will I will add this comment for whatever it's worth. Some things, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm willing to listen to um, to verifiable evidence. In Brazil, uh, where I go a lot and live for three years, um, and many many churches um, do a lot with demon possession. Um, there are lots of demon possessed people, and there are many of the churches down there, church, you know, denominational churches, you know, have even um, special services of of um, liberation, they call it, to cast out the demons out of people. And, uh, you know, many Brazilians have seen that happen, you know, over and over again. And and it's rather dramatic. Uh, apparently, a lot of times, there's, you know, even kind of a struggle between the demon-possessed man and the, the pastor that's casting out the demon, at least verbally. And, you know, maybe last for a period of minutes or, or whatever, kind of a, quite a spectacular thing. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's really a big thing in Brazilian religious culture, Brazilian, Brazilian life. And Brazilians are very uh, superstitious people, not very scientific kind of people like Americans are. And uh, the thing that, that I have observed in all of that in Brazil, is that it's intriguing that the demons seem to only show up in certain
4: churches
0: (laughs) we did open studies in a hotel conference room for three years while i lived there we passed out about a quarter of a million flyers uh or a little more on the streets in downtown sao paulo inviting people to those studies i i we should have kept account but i suspect we had I suspect we had close to a thousand people in the course of three years, different people at different times coming uh, to those studies. And people from all walks of life, from all religious background, including some who had been demon-possessed when they were in other churches, and not one time did we ever have any kind of a manifestation whatsoever. People would ask me, when we'd study some of these kinds of things, they would say, what would you do? If somebody, uh, you know, came in and started doing, I said, well, you know, I don't know. I guess I'd tell them to stop. Uh, you know, but, uh, but I said, isn't it intriguing? It would not be very appropriate to our context. I mean, we were doing things like we're doing here, just calm Bible study, you know. And I said, you know, it's not, a, it's not an environment where people feel like doing that. And, and, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me. I mean, I was in various churches, you know, faithful churches during that time, people coming who weren't Christians, and some coming who had been demon-possessed in various churches. And not one time did I ever see any kind of manifestation. So that made me think, you know... <laughs> This does not seem to be quite like it was in Jesus' day. <laughs> you know, it's not really the same thing. And something else that they said about the demons down there, that it was very common in those churches. We converted, you know, had, there were a number of converts from churches that did that, a number. And it would tell me a lot about those things. And that, that there were people who, were, who, who had demons cast out of them just about every week in those churches. And I, I, I thought about Mark chapter 9 in connection with that where Jesus cast a demon out of a boy. And in Mark 9, verse 25, the middle part of the verse, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Jesus had the power to cast it out and keep it out. And so, you know, it really makes you scratch your head when somebody, you know, keeps coming back with the demon every week, you know, if was really being cast out. So, you know, my experience is, makes me very skeptical of those things, anyway, being anything connected with, with you know, demon possession like here. And, you know, I don't know much in this country that seems to compare at all. Uh, so, so my guess is that God allowed special demon possession, the devil, to, to do this for a, a time, perhaps to give credit to Jesus and the apostles and their ability to cast them out. Other comments and questions? Good questions. Well, we've seen a lot about Jesus so far in this chapter, and we've particularly noted things about him that were pretty amazing, that show his greatness, his authority, and we've seen the fishermen respond to who Jesus was in verses 16 to 20, by immediately obeying him above everything else. Now we're going to see another incident, but in this incident I think we're going to see also how not to respond to Jesus' authority. So verse 40 to 45.
4: And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every quarter.
0: So who comes to Jesus here? Leper. Yeah, a leper. Uh, leprosy was basically a what? Well, a skin disease. Um... There's lots of debate about just what all skin diseases were included in the Bible term leprosy. But skin diseases are not pleasant things. Um, They're disfiguring. Um, uh, You know, apparently a lot of times associated with open sores and things like that. So they're highly contagious. Um, And generally speaking, lepers were quarantined for fear of catching it. There seemed to be a lot of stigma about leprosy in the first century. I don't know, this is probably changing even in this country, but a few years ago I could say sort of like AIDS in this country. You know, where not only is there some fear about that, even because, you know, I don't know, there's a lot we don't understand about AIDS. So there's mystery about it and fear of contamination and so forth, but also there's kind of a stigma as to, or if you've got AIDS, that probably means you did something you shouldn't have to get it. You know, and things like that. And I, I say, I mean, we're almost, we've almost changed that in the last 10 or 15 years to where, you know, it's not quite as looked down on, maybe. But I think leprosy was, was a lot like that. I mean, it was just really bad. It was really, it basically ended your whole social life if you were a leper. And uh, here's a leper that comes to Jesus. And what does he say?
1: willing you can make
0: me clean? And what does Jesus say? I'm willing to be cleansed. T- both of those statements show me that the cleansing of a leper depends on what? Jesus' Jesus's willingness. willingness. It's all based on Jesus' will. If you're willing, please, I'm willing. You know, that's all depends if Jesus is willing, the leprosy is gone. <laughs> now, what did Jesus do to cleanse the leper? Touched him. What do you think about that? That's
1: like the ultimate no-no with a leper.
0: Yes. You know, you don't do that with a leper. Why not? You'll catch it. You wouldn't touch a leper. You know that's worse than eating after somebody who's got pneumonia or something. You know, don't touch a leper. Nobody touch it, a leper. He'd probably not been touched by a non leprous person for the whole time he died leprosy, because you you realize that you'll catch the leprosy. But when Jesus touched the leper, what
3: happened? He caught what Jesus had. Yeah, exactly right. Jesus' power to cleanse (laughs) Jesus' power to cleanse
0: was greater than the leprosy's power to contaminate Jesus. The power went the other way. Jesus' us, moved on to the leper. That's exactly right. Can you imagine seeing that? Imagine that you're standing there and, and this skin is all flaking off. There's sores. It's oozing. It's all ugly and disfigured. And Jesus touches this and suddenly... The skin just, it just right before your eyes, just transformed. That would be awesome. I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> and uh, the text said, immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, before we move off of those first two or three verses of this, I want you to notice another point that I think is really important for us to give thought to. How did Jesus feel about this leper? compassion he cared about the leper i believe jesus is giving us a model here we don't look down on anybody that we should touch people quote unquote who are sort of repulsive to us you know we are too quick to want to maintain our respectability and there's just certain kind of people that you don't want to be seen with and you don't want to get close to people that are uncool because if we associate with certain kinds of people or if we try to reach out to them people might think we're like they are you know people who've had bad backgrounds people who come from foreign countries these days, etc. People who have some physical ailments, some of those, you know, are things that are disgusting. And people just kind of shy away. Jesus wasn't like that. He had compassion on those who were different, who were suffering, who needed help. Because instead of looking down on the leper, Jesus cared about the leper and he reached out and touched him. I think that's an excellent lesson for all right, do you have some thoughts and comments on that first part of this story from 40 to 42?
4: So are there any people around soon?
0: I don't know. But it would sure have been cool if there were. I'd like to have been one of those people, but I don't know. Maybe not. Other thoughts?
3: I was thinking about...
0: shades. wheels are turning.
3: Yeah, can't you see the smoke. Um, <laughs> do you have any firearms again? Um, <clears> oh, <throat> uh, you can just connect that to his tongue now. <laughs> 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 <I> Thanks <it's laughs> <encouraging> for <of> <laughs> Um, how, number one, the how great the faith of the leper was to say, I know you can cleanse me, you can heal me. Um, but also how amazed. How great she was by healing him, but you know how hard it'd be? It'd be even harder for me to keep my, uh, not just me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I know where that's going.
3: <laughs> <laughs> To not just tell others about uh, that worked too well, <laughs>
0: that example worked too well. <laughs> to, not, <laughs> to not tell people about what Christ did I'm glad you're not a left person. Obviously, it doesn't matter. But, um,
3: that's, that's, <laughs> that's not, true. To not, people t- <laughs> <laughs> are so good at encouraging me. Um, to not tell of what you had done
0: for me. Yeah, and we're going to come to that point in a minute and and extend on that idea. But you're exactly right. I mean, wow, if that happens to you. What are you going to do? But what what did Jesus tell her? See that you say nothing to
4: anyone.
0: Don't say anything to anybody except for the priest. The priest That goes back to Leviticus um, chapter 13 and 14 with the laws of leprosy. And particularly, some forms of leprosy could sometimes go into remission. And when it did, there was a whole process that involved um, presenting yourself to the priest, who sort of served as a health inspector, to. Basically, certify the leprosy as being in remission and allow the person back into normal society. And there were some sacrifices offered of uh, uh, thanks to God for the, the cleansing. And uh, so he's supposed to do that, you know, follow the legal procedure, but don't tell anybody anything. And uh, the leper did what? Told everybody freely. Yeah, Jesus says, don't tell anything to everybody, anybody. And this guy tells everything to everyone. Now, think about the leper. Put yourself in his position. Jesus says, don't tell. So he tells. Was he just trying to be mean to Jesus? Defy Jesus? What do you suppose was in his head? Spread the word. Yeah, why would he want to spread the word? To help other
4: people.
0: Yeah, there might be other lepers who (laughs) need to know about this guy. And maybe would honor Jesus more to tell about what he's done. And besides that, I'd be really excited if I was a leper and I couldn't stand it. I'd be like Shane. Pretty close to like Shane anyway. <laughs> and uh, I'd have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. So you see... <laughs> <What's he doing? laughs> the example is me. Yeah. It's not a connection yeah, yeah. yeah exactly
3: have you ever heard curtis pope talk about this no he's, he's just great <laughs> i'd love to hear it he talks me he calls the guy abdul and he says can you imagine going back into town walking in and somebody sees you abdul is that you he goes yeah he said well what happened to your leprosy he goes Got
0: better? <laughs> <laughs> you <tell> you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. So what I see in Abdul here <laughs> is that while he didn't do what Jesus said, he wasn't trying to defy Jesus or hurt Jesus or anything. He's just excited and maybe even really wanted to honor Jesus and help other people know about it. You can see that as being good motives, good intentions. But the fact remains, Jesus said, don't tell anything to anybody. What happened when this guy does? Come here. Yeah, he got to be so um, like popular, you know, that, that there were just such throngs of crowds of people coming to him that it really hampered his work. It made it impossible for him even to go near a city. There were too many people. And, and, and you know, you'd think Jesus would have wanted popularity. But there's a sense in which Jesus didn't want popularity. He didn't want this kind of popularity because people were coming out to Jesus kind of looking for a stunt. You know, he's kind of like the sideshow. You know, let's see what he can see. You know, what's he going to do this day? That's not what he wanted. He wanted calm, reflective people thinking about his message, not giddy, excited people wanting to see another show. And so this really hurts what Jesus is doing. Which leads me to what I think is a really important lesson. Well-meaning disobedience hurts Jesus' work. Here's a guy who technically he disobeys Jesus. But he did it with good motives. But Jesus is the one who pleased the Father. Jesus is the one who John wasn't worthy to untie his shoes. Jesus is the one who has the power to teach with authority. Jesus is the one who has power over the demons, power over sickness. If Jesus says don't tell anything to anybody, I don't care whether you understand it or not. I don't care if it makes sense or not. I don't care if you have a better idea or not. You do what he says because of who he is. His authority demands unquestioning obedience not well-intentioned disobedience. You've really got, to me in Mark chapter 1, a number of things that show the greatness of Jesus, and one example of the fishermen that show the proper way to respond to Jesus, and one example of the leper that shows the wrong way to respond to Jesus. An understandable way, but it was wrong. And how many times will Jesus tell us things in the Bible that we may not totally understand? And we may think, well, I mean, you know, I mean, this is okay because I'm, I'm just trying to do whatever. But Jesus says, don't tell, or whatever it is he says. And we just got to have enough trust in who he really is to just do it, even though we don't understand it. Comments and thoughts on that?
4: I think Jesus knew that he would spread it, but it was just a willing test to see if he would or
0: wouldn't. I'm sure Jesus knew. But the fact that Jesus knows doesn't keep him from telling him the thing that would be right. God knows what we're gonna to do too, but he tells us what <coughs> we ought to do. And I don't I think Jesus didn't want him to tell it. It did hurt Jesus' work. Jesus was sincere and authentic in that. But no, I don't think it was any big surprise to Jesus when it happened. And this won't be the only time it'll happen either.
1: I was thinking about the temptations of Christ and how, you know, if he had followed the leper's example, I mean, for example, throwing himself down from the, the top of the temple in front of everyone and proving, you know, that would have been... Well-meaning disobedience to God, in a sense, but it would not have actually furthered the right cause. So, I mean, it would have, it would have also caused problems.
0: Well, sure. I think about him, uh, um, him bowing down before the devil so that he can conquer all the kingdoms for God. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that have been a great thing? To get all the kings of the world to worship God, but. To do it, he'd have to disobey and worship the devil. It's never right to do wrong. Ever. I don't care how good the goal is. It's never
3: right to do wrong. Good point. I think it's easy in this section for us to uh, misunderstand the purpose. It doesn't talk a whole lot through here about Jesus' teaching. It doesn't say a lot about what he's saying. It's telling about the miracles and and it's easy for me to read this and say, Oh, well he's wanting people to know about miracles and he's wanting to show off his miracles and show his power and then you get to that section and it's it's always been well, that's weird, why would he tell the guy not to tell when he's trying to show off his miracles? When I think from you know, from what we've been saying, the the purpose is the teaching back in you know, verse 14 even, after John had taken, Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. And then these were some signs that he did along the way to confirm that, his, that he had the power to, to teach what he was teaching.
0: Yes. This is presenting his credentials so that as the gospel of Mark goes on, we actually get more samples of what he taught will be, respond properly to the teaching and listen, there'll be plenty of things Jesus will teach as we go on but it's kind of like establishing his credentials before we focus on the message but he does talk a lot about the fact that he's teaching here not only 14 and 15 but then 21 and 22 and 27
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then in 38 and 39 that's what he's You know, he's preaching and casting out demons so there has been a good bit of emphasis on it, just not details about what it was that he said, but that'll change. Good comment. Other thoughts or this
4: questions? This is kind of the backfire to what, up in 38, I mean, him saying, let's go to the next towns, he <coughs> didn't want to stick around for everybody to keep coming to him, so here it kind of backfires on him.
0: Yeah, well, it's good. It's really making it difficult for him to do what he wanted to do in verse 38. He can't even get into a town anymore. He's got so many people with him. Uh, that'll change too eventually. But but right now, it's uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like uh, I don't know if you were a uh, really super popular movie star or sports figure or whatever, that could be really annoying. You know, because, I mean, any, anywhere you went, you just attract this huge crowd. you think that'd be cool, it'd be cool for about a day, and then it really get to be a problem. You know, so it's kind of a problem for what Jesus is trying to do, and especially, I think, the fact that many of these people weren't serious in listening. They were just more wanting to see a show. Other thoughts? I don't think Jesus, like, I don't think he
4: wanted people just to come and heal him just just so you can heal him and not learn anything about it I think he wanted to preach him first and then when he understood
0: I think you're exactly right I think the healings were to show that his message was from God but I certainly see Jesus as primarily a teacher he's primarily trying to get the news to the towns not to get healings to the towns
3: it doesn't appear that he denied any healing. I don't think he did. And do you read in forty one the compassion because of the physical condition? Yeah. I mean, I would I see that yeah. he had compassion on the man. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean he feels for the guy, Vanele. Right. And
0: uh, the appropriately so. I mean compassion is a proper proper attitude. And we'll see that quite a few times in Mark and and in the other Gospels as well, compassion is a quality mentioned quite a few times about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Well, we don't get too far in this, but it was a really good discussion. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. It's, it makes me think a good <laughs> bit, and that's you know, a rare thing, so that's how. <laughs> <me. laughs> Uh, but I'm really excited about Chapter 2, and so hopefully we can work on at least some of that next week. Maybe all of it, we'll see. But uh, there's some really cool stories in Chapter 2 that I, uh, I'm eager to uh, be able to share together. And uh, so we'll uh, plan for that uh, next uh, Monday night, Lord willing. Really.